This morning, the title of the message is called Monitoring My Motives. We're going to get back into the Sermon on the Mount this morning. But when we think about monitoring your motives, have you ever asked yourself why? Not not say why to God, but why do I do that? Why do I say that? Why do I uh, why do I pray? Why do I come to church? Uh, why did I say that? It's all a lot about self-awareness. And if I were to give you a definition of self-awareness, it would be this. It is the ability to monitor my inner self's thoughts, emotions, and intentions. In fact, I believe there's a direct result or direct correlation between our self-awareness and our emotional and spiritual maturity. And so my first principle this morning is this. An emotionally and spiritually healthy person must have a strong sense of self-awareness. See, the problem that Jesus is addressing here is a problem about motivation. We're going to get into this passage in just a minute, but we see that Jesus is really ferreting out the Pharisees and the reasons why they were doing these disciplines, and they just absolutely lacked a self-awareness of what their real motives were, and so God was trying to bring them back to reality and get them out of the hypocritical mode. So we're going to go into this chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and let's read through it, and you're going to see that Jesus speaks about three different disciplines that he brings up now his sermon, and each one of them has a common thread of the wrong motivation. So let's read about it. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's the first discipline, the discipline of giving. So he goes into the second discipline of prayer. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not, take, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and then forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, their sins, your, uh, forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a tough verse, by the way, isn't it? When you fast, now he goes to the third discipline. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All three of them, he says, you should do this in secret. There's something private that should be done because what you've been doing, Pharisees, you've been doing all this publicly to get more acclaim and more egocentric as you go along to prove to everybody how super religious you are. 
So here was a situation where these guys were all about performing. They're all about doing stuff to get public recognition, to make everybody feel like they were the spiritual ones when in reality they were nothing more than hypocrites. So here's principle number two I want to give you this morning. Spiritual discipline should come out of an inward expression of the heart and not an outward display of our spirituality. I don't know about you, but I think a lot of Christians today have have expectations put on them that are certain disciplines and certain things that you need to do. And so consequently, a lot of times we end up doing those things and we forget to ask the question, why am I doing this? Well, it's just because we're supposed to. That's what believers do, right? But there needs to be a better and deeper and more heart of motivation that's there. And so Jesus addresses this with these three disciplines. So let's look at the first one. He starts out by talking about giving. And the problem in that day was, is that when one of the Pharisees or somebody gave, they made a big public display of it. See, when when people were required to give in the temple by a temple tax, and that temple tax was really designed based upon your ability to pay. But then there was an over and above gift that was often given for the poor. And when somebody would do that, they would actually almost literally get a trumpet, go out in public and announce it. Can you imagine if on Sunday morning, uh, you know, your giving would be put on display before everybody to see and say, oh, look at this. He only gave $20 this week. Oh, this guy, wow, he gave a $1,000 check this week. Can you believe it? This guy must be super spiritual. That's what was going on. That was what was going on in that day. And so Jesus called them into task by saying, don't do this in public. Do it in private. In fact, he goes on to say, in principle number three, we want to say, he says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What is he saying there? What he's saying there is this. Not only need I do it privately so that I don't get all the public acclaim and get all the religious attaboys, but we also need to do it with an act of humility on the inside so that even you, you yourself are not just patting yourself on the back not letting your right hand knowing what your left hand's doing basically is an expression to say that you need to be careful about your own ego when you give. So, you know, when you stick that check in the offering plate, you don't say, boy, look at me, you know, I'm really being sacrificial here, Lord. I hope you appreciate it. So that's essentially what he's trying to say here. I remember a lady in our church back in, in, in Phoenix, and uh, her name was Ann, and uh, she had that attitude. And I remember one day when uh, she got a little ticked about the church and got, got a little uh, upset and she decided she was going to leave the church. And so she made sure she announced that to me and she said, you know what, I'm not really happy here anymore so I'm going to leave and I'm going to take my money with me. And when I take my money with you, you're going to really have a problem with your finances here at the church. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. I wonder how much he gives. I did a little sneak peek and I found out that she gave way, way, way more or less than probably 80% of the people in the church. But she thought she was being sacrificial and that her gift was going to really mess up the entire church budget. I mean, talk about the left hand knowing what the right hand's doing. She had it all together that way. Well, here's principle number four, because giving tests the sincerity, integrity of our hearts toward God and others. We're going to talk more about generosity next week when we talk about uh, not storing up treasures uh, on earth. But I think there's a a principle here that why do you give? I mean, that's one of the questions here. If there's a self-awareness, why do you give what you give? Why, why is that? Is it just because, you know, the Bible says that we're supposed to tithe? Okay, well, that's fine. That's good. 
But why are you, quote, should you be generous? Why? Why are you doing this? Great question to ask. But that's what Jesus was trying to get at these guys and saying, look, why are you doing this? It's obvious. It's all about your ego. It's all about your self-righteousness. Now, secondly, he goes into the discipline of prayer. And uh, what was going on then is that these guys would be praying out in public on the street corners, and they'd pray these long, exhaustive prayers to just show everybody how super spiritual they are. Have you ever been in a situation where, as particularly pastors are kind of guilty of this, where they go into long prayers, and they know all the Christianese, and they, they do a beautiful job, and it sounds so amazing, you know, and it intimidates any of you that want to ever pray publicly because, you know, I can't pray like that. There's no way. I can't, I can't go there, you know. And what they were doing is they were going on and on and on and on. And it was, it was to a point of ridiculousness. And I'm not saying that long prayers are bad necessarily, but what he's really saying is here, what was your motive? What, was your, what were you trying to do? Why were you praying all these long prayers? You're being just like the pagans who would pray and pray and pray to their gods and nothing would ever happen. They'd spend all day. You remember when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal just prayed all day long, almost 24 hours, trying to get the attention of their gods and they wouldn't wake up and listen to what they had to say. And he said, this is what you're doing. You're, you're just babbling. You're just going on and on and on. I know I've been in some prayer sessions where I feel like that with some folks. I don't know about you. But I think what Jesus is trying to get at here is there needs to be a greater sense of simplicity in our praying. I'll get to that in a minute. But when we, when we see principle number five here, he's saying, listen, God knows what we need before we even ask. You know, I, I know people that'll, that'll pray and, and they'll go into this long dissertation and trying to explain to God what the situation is. Like he doesn't know. You know, God, I, I just, just in case you don't understand what's going on here, I need to explain all of this. Now, you know, I want to be careful with that. I don't want to be too sarcastic, but, I, but the point I want to make is, is that he already knows what we need. And so, you know, keep it simple, stupid kind of thing. Use the KISS method, perhaps. Here, here's here's uh, what he says in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 through 11. We'll get to that in another week or so. But he says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give you a stone? Uh, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So he's saying, listen, I know what you need, and I'm not going to give you anything that's not good for you. So, so you don't have to go into long explained expl- explanations to, to somehow get God's attention on this. He already knows what's going on. It doesn't mean that you don't pray. It just means that we already have a connection. He understands. He knows what's going on. Prayer is as much for his, your benefit as it is for him. So the question then, what does this imply? Well, I think what he's saying here is, listen, let's, let's just look at a simple model. And so he goes into the, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer. And so let's go to the Lord's Prayer. But, but if you remember, the Lord's Prayer is not very long. And, and I think about uh, when Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech. You remember that? And you remember, if you ever read the Gettysburg Address, it was probably one of the most incredible speeches ever written. Why were they? Because the content was so rich and it was pretty brief. And so I think there's this, this idea that our prayer should maybe, prayers could be maybe simpler, but have rich content so that we really have some great intimacy with God. So anyways, Jesus now says, look, here's how you do it. Here's a simple way to pray. And so he starts out with our father. Now, what's really important here, if he's not your father, 
you're not going to get a very good connection, right? I remember when I was a little twerp, I, I was in a, a church one Sunday, and uh, they released us from Sunday school, and I was probably three, four years old, and I was looking for my dad in this great sea of humanity out in the foyer. And to them, to me, it looked like a whole, uh, you know, a bunch of forests, if you will, all these long legs sticking out. And my dad was pretty tall, and I thought that I got my dad's legs. So I just ran up, and I wrapped my arm around this man's leg, and looked up at that, oh, my word, it's not my dad, you know? And there's a lot of people who maybe even use the Lord's Prayer, and they start out with our Father, but they don't even know Him. They've never met Him. And so he starts out, he's saying, look, if you're going to have an effective prayer life, you've got to know that he's your daddy. He's your father. So then he goes on to say, hallowed be thy name. So he said, there's got to be an element in our lives when we pray of praise. Uh, we've got to be able to give God his due. We need to adore him. We need to worship him. We need to somehow give him uh, the elevation that he deserves. You're God. I'm just a human being. There has to be that kind of relationship. Then he goes on, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth it is as in heaven. So he's saying, listen, you always need to understand that when you pray, it's about his will being done. It's not about your will. You're not imposing your will on him. You're hopefully getting connected to what he wants, his will, and you'll be a whole lot more effective in your prayer life. So he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Fourth, he goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. So he said, you know, part of prayer is to ask God for various needs that you have in your life. And I venture to say that probably 90% of our prayer lives surround that particular issue. We spend a whole lot less time maybe giving praise and seeking God's will in our prayer lives, but it's all about our needs. That's not all bad, but we need to have some balance here. And then he goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. So he said there's got to be some sort of confession and, uh, and forgiveness and repentance within the framework of our prayer lives. Now, what I, what I really get concerned about is that when we, we, we look at these, uh, this model of prayer and we think that every time I pray, I got to have all these elements in it for it to happen, Right? In fact, there was a time back in earlier years where in the church they talked about the concept of acts. Remember, some of you remember that, A-C-T-S? So every prayer should have adoration, consecration, uh, thanksgiving, and supplication. And so I remember trying to pray that way all the time, and it almost got to be a point where I thought, oh, man, I forgot Thanksgiving. i got to stop and give thanks. Now, that's not all bad, but the point was that it was almost becoming a discipline of trying to make sure all four of those things were there, whereas I think if you understand what I think prayer is about, now I'm going to give you something maybe here a little bit different than what you've been used to in terms of prayer, because a lot of times we define prayer as talking to God, right? Talking to God. Um, or if you really get down to it, it's talking at God. See, if prayer is communication with God, then communication can happen in all different venues, right? I mean, you can non-verbally communicate with your spouse, can't you? Just roll your eyes once or turn your back or cross your arms. You're communicating something to your mate or to your spouse, and they're communicating something back to you. So there can be nonverbal communication, there can be verbal communication, but also a part of communication is what? You talk and you listen. I was thinking about this the other day. I, uh, when I was out in, in a police vehicle, I got on the radio, and when you go into service, you say, you call the dispatcher and you put your finger on the microphone button, you just say, this is Chaplain 2, I'll be 10-8. 
Now, if I keep my finger on the button of that little microphone, I'm not going to get a 10-4 from the dispatcher. Unless I let go of that button, then he says, then she says, 10-4, good day. Then they know that I'm in service, right? But see, the problem with a lot of us, we spend a lot of time talking at God and we don't listen. And so we don't get that 10-4 from God. So it's really important to understand that prayer is communication. And by the way, when we talk about prayer, we talk about a prayer life. And when we talk about a prayer life, we need to realize that there's a part of that. I'm going to get off on a tangent here, but bear with me for a minute. When we talk about a prayer life, I feel like prayer is all about breathing out and breathing in. You see, there are days, uh, there are times uh, during the day where I'll, I'll shout praise to the Lord. I'll say, God, thank you so much. You are an awesome God. I just feel so blessed. And that's my prayer. You know, I didn't get to the confession or, you know, thy will be done or anything like that, but I just breathed one up, okay? And then later on during the day, you know, I get convicted about something. They say, God, forgive me for that. Well, then I forgive my, forgive my trespasses, right? And, and, then, and then there's times where, where I feel like, you know what, I'm just seeking God's will and I'm just spending a long time just listening and waiting and looking in God's word. That's all prayer. When you sang this morning, do you realize you were praying if we think about it that way? That's why it's so scary when we, we come to worship on Sunday morning and we just sit there with silence when in reality, this is our opportunity to say, hallowed be thy name. And we can sing it instead of, Right? So we think about prayer, it's, it's, a, it's a lifestyle, it's an integrating or practicing the presence of God in our lives at every point. And we're going to see a great illustration of that next week, so I'm not going to steal my thunder from next week. But he says here in this prayer, by the way, he says, listen, forgive us our trespasses as we, what, also forgive others. That's why verses 14 and 15 are so important. Because then he says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men, their sins, your, fa- uh, your Father will not forgive your sins. What's God saying there? Is he trying to be a nasty God to us? That that even, you mean, I mean, there's no point in me even praying if I've got some unforgiveness in my life? No, that's really, what what he's saying here is this. I, I think it's really important. If you read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, it says this. He says, my son, do not take, make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those what? He loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. He's saying, listen, the reason why I put this particular verse there is because I want you to know, son, that I love you, and sometimes you're going to need to be disciplined. And so there are going to be times where, yes, you're going to pray, and you're going to be harboring unforgiveness in your life, and I'm not going to accept that because you need to realize you need to get this squared away. And it's a part of his loving discipline in our lives where sometimes it sounds like, well, golly, God, that's pretty negative. You know, I, I don't forgive anybody and you're not going to forgive me. Is that the real story here? Now, he's not talking about our judicial forgiveness, right? Our judicial forgiveness is already under the blood of Christ if we know Jesus Christ. But these are daily sanctification types of moments in our lives where he says, wait a minute, time out, time out. You've got some unforgiveness in your heart towards so-and-so and you need to get that squared away before you go on in this prayer. And he does that. Why? Because he loves us. Not because he's trying to be negative or down on us. So that's the point there. I believe what he's saying there in that particular passage that he forgives, won't forgive us if we don't forgive others. And that's why he says in his prayer, we need to forgive our trespasses what? As what? As we also forgive 
others. Does that make sense? So principle number six is our prayer life should represent all those elements. So what I'm saying is, is that it may not represent all those elements, particularly in one prayer, but hopefully that you have enough balance in your prayer life that those elements certainly come out when God really prompts you and moves you to take those things to before him. Um, I never used acts. I used a uh, acrostic called pray in my own life for a long time. It was like praise, repent, anything else in yourself. Okay, that's what I used to do. And then uh, if I screwed that up, then I would yarp because I would then be all about myself. And then I'd pray about anything else. And oh, yeah, I better repent. And then I would praise God. Okay, so I was yarping sometimes. So that was kind of the way I dealt with prayer for a long period of time. But I see now that prayer can be bigger than just that one moment and that one prayer because we're so good at compartmentalizing our spirituality, aren't we? When we realize that prayer life, prayer living is a, is a day-to-day, minute-by-minute, moment-by-moment, understanding his presence in my life so I can zing one up and he zings one's down and we have this relationship and we talk about a relationship. You know, one of the reasons that, that it's important for me to pray, which brings up principle number seven, prayer is an opportunity to cultivate intimacy and trust with God. I said, the reason why I pray is because I say I have a relationship and if it's a relationship, we need to have, be able to communicate. And we need to spend time together. We need to cultivate intimacy and trust in that relationship. And the way we do it is by communicating with God on a day-to-day basis. Does that make sense? So we're talking about the intimacy. Why do I pray? Because I just like hanging out with Jesus. I, I like talking to him. I like listening to him. I, I, I want to know what he thinks. I want to have this intimacy. I want to have this relationship with him. That's why I pray. You know, I don't just pray because I pray because of a meal because that's what we're supposed to do. I don't pray. And you know, what's really scary to me is sometimes we assess people's spirituality by how long or how much they pray. That's a scary thing. And I'm not down on people praying for hours. I think it's wonderful that people are prayer warriors and they can be down on their knees for hours and being, being able to bring things before the Lord. I think that's awesome. Yet, I know that the way God's wired me, I, I do it a little bit differently. And I don't want to necessarily feel guilty because I'm walking through the day and I'm zinging him up and he's zinging him down, okay? Here's my point. A great example of that is when I was uh, uh, pastoring my church down in Phoenix, we had an annual meeting with pastors of of large churches, and we got together in a room one day in San Diego, and there was about 35 of us in a room. And one of the pastors brought up this idea, and he said, listen, he said, "Um, I want to know how much you guys spend in prayer for your congregation every day. And then I want to know how much time you spend preparing your sermons, and I want to know how much time you spend devotionally outside of preparing your sermons. So let's go around the room and everybody confess. And so a couple guys went down the line and they came to me and I said, guys, I said, I'm not going to tell you because number one, I'm not sure it's any of anybody's business. And number two, that's between me and the Lord. And I'm not going to be assessed my spirituality by how much time I spend because I can spend hours and not accomplish anything or develop a sense of intimacy with God. Well, it got really quiet in the room. And so this is what we do, though. See, man looks at the outer appearance and God looks at the heart. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at in this passage. That's what Jesus is trying to do with the Sermon on the Mount. He said, guys, it's about the heart. Stop it. Stop being so religious, if you will. Stop being so sneaking hypocritical. 
grow up and understand why you do what you do. Okay, I got carried away there. Okay, let's go to uh, fasting, okay? Third discipline. Fasting. Verses 16 through 18, he says, When you fast, do not look at so somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, what they were doing is that when they would fast, in fact, by the way, the law said that you only fast once a year. That was a basic law. And the Pharisees took it to a whole other level and they would fast twice a week. That was some of their routine. And when they do this, they would put ashes all over their face. They'd look like they were camouflage Delta Force guys running around. And, and, and they would walk around with a sad face and they just look so bad, sad because, you see, fasting, there were three reasons why we would fast. One was they were uh, humiliating themselves because of their own sin, which was totally the opposite of what they were trying to display what was really going on, but that was one of the reasons. A second reason why they would fast is for bereavement. There was some loss. If you remember when David fasted after he lost his son, after his sin with Bathsheba, and so he grieved a loss. Sometimes we fast because there's a a bereavement or a grief. And then thirdly, we sometimes fast to really understand what the will of God is, to kind of connect with him when there's a big decision. And these guys, they were fasting just out of, of just narcissism saying, look at me, I am so spiritual that I have fast and I'm so humiliated about my own sin and reality, they were on an ego trip. And so Jesus calls them out on it. He calls them out on it. And what I love about this is that he gets to the end of this and he says this in every discipline. He says, listen, he will reward you. What is done in secret will reward you. The Father knows Where am I going with that? This is principle number eight. eight. Whatever spiritual discipline we do, what God thinks is the only person who really matters, right? He knows what's going on in secret. He knows our hearts. We don't have to put it on display. We don't have to flaunt it. It's about an intimate relationship between me and the Father. He knows what, what I need before I even ask in our prayer life. He knows what we give and what we don't give and what our attitude of our heart is. And he knows when we fast if our attitudes are right. See, he he knows. And that's the only person that's important, right? That's the bottom line. So let me draw a conclusion here. Because every one of us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, have sort of these disciplines, right? There's a great book called Celebration of Disciplines, by the way. It's a fabulous book by Richard Foster. And and in that book, there's all these disciplines that are expectations of guys or people who love Jesus who really manifest. And so there's things like studying the Word of God, prayer and meditation, fasting, we've already talked about, fellowship, witnessing, Giving, these are all disciplines that are expectations that God has placed on us in terms of understanding our journey as a believer, okay? The question that I started with this morning is this, self-awareness. Why? Why? This is the question we have to answer together this morning. Why do I pray? What's my reason? Is it to get what I want? Is it, is it to move God towards my will? Is that why I pray? 
Do I pray because I'm just told to pray and it's, it's a discipline and so I, I get up every morning and I, I do my duty and I pray and I, I talk to God and I do all that because I, that's what a spiritual person does or is there something deeper than that that I need to understand about myself? Why do I go to small group? Why do I go to church? What's the reason? Why do I go? It's because I've done it. That's the way I've always done it. And I grew up going to church. And so I, you know, I really just need to go to church because that's the thing that Christian's supposed to do. Well, that's okay. But why are you in church? Is it because you want to get fed? Is it, you want to grow? You, you, want to, you want to have the opportunity to, to praise God and worship? Why am I in church? You see, this is what Jesus is getting at with these passages. Why do, why do I witness? Why do I share my faith? Why don't I share my faith? Why, why do I give? Why don't I give? We're going to talk a lot about that next week, so hang on to your hats. It's, uh, we'll stop right there. But the question is, why? Why? Why do we do these things? And that's what I think Jesus was getting at. He said, listen, you need to know your heart. And we all have blind spots. And that's why, why Jesus brings these out to these guys and say, guys, you don't get it. You're blind guides. You're hypocrites. Stop it. So we need to understand why we do what we do. And we need to just go to the Lord and say, God, why, why do I do this? And, and answer those questions. And you're going to get a chance to maybe do some of that in your small groups this week. Why? Self-awareness. It's really a key component to understanding our spiritual maturity and intimacy with God. Amen? So that's what Jesus has to say to us this morning. I hope that we can all learn from these three different disciplines what Jesus was really trying to say. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this sermon that you gave over almost 2,000 years ago or more. And you, uh, you just nailed it, Lord. You just bring things back home to reality to us. And that is that it's all about our heart. God, I would say that sometimes we just need to have you forgive us for our prayers. I pray that we would have a greater understanding of what prayer is supposed to be. I think about our giving and I pray that it would cause us to examine why we give or why we don't give or why we give so little or why we give so much. For those of us that fast, it would be a question of why, why do we fast? What's our purpose? Lord, thank you for pointing these things out. They're not easy, but God, I know that it's because you love us. So thank you for loving us this morning, just like we've sung. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.